Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with a bald faced truth. Oregon and Washington will play a big football game at Autzen Stadium on Saturday. Uh, my picks for the game, you can find them at johnconzano.com. I made all my picks today. I'm 17 and 3 in my last 20 Pac 12 games, knocking on wood. Literally, you can hear it right there as I knock on wood. Um, I want to uh, I want to bring on a guest that we bring on every year for this for this week. Softy from KJR in Seattle is joining us now, and there is no bigger husky honk in the land. Softy, how are you, man? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, good to hear from you, Mr. Canzano. And don't forget, if Canzano can do it, anybody can. If if, if John Canzano with his limited skills, uh, limited social skills, if he can accomplish everything he's accomplished in life. If Gonzano can do it, then anybody can. That's my motto, baby. I love it. I, I Anytime I need you a boost. You steal that, by the way. That's a hell of a motto for you. <laughs> anytime I need a boost, I, I have you on the show to do this. Hey, it's Washington, uh, Oregon week. We talked We talked to Rick, Rich Brooks earlier in the week, and you know he, he gave us some Don James stories. What do you think this rivalry is about? Why is this a rivalry? Well, I think it's a rivalry because Oregon keeps talking about how much they like to kick Washington's ass. I mean, I'm watching Penny Sewell come out of the tunnel with the Lions the other day doing the dubs down thing. I've got multiple people, multiple people, John, creating Twitter accounts just to bust my balls on social media about the game on Saturday with the Oregon Ducks. And then on the other hand, you sit there and you talk about how oh, it's not even a rivalry. It's not a big deal anymore. Bullshit. It's not a big deal. It's a huge freaking deal to you people, and you know it. I've told you a million freaking times, John, the final four appearances, the BCS championship appearance, the Heisman Trophy, the Rose Bowl, blah, 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 blah. The best thing to ever happen to Oregon fans in the past 25 years is kicking Washington's butt, and they keep reminding of us, uh, uh, us of that every single freaking year this game goes on. So all this talk about how, hey, we've moved on. You're the little brother. You're not even a rival. Oh, really? Then why is it such a big damn deal every single year when you play Washington? Get over it. The highlights and lowlights of this series in your mind, uh, let's start with highlights. In your lifetime, games you've seen that just stand out, and you're like, that one, that one was special for Washington. Well, the two games uh, where Washington hammered them in back-to-back years, I think it was, what, 0203 or 0304, that included the Northwest Championship thing, dancing on the O, dancing on the midfield logo, and Braxton Clement brought out the Northwest Championship T-shirt, and that pissed a lot of people off. That was uh, New Heisel's year, obviously. Uh, obviously, 2016, 70-21 going down there and just thrashing Oregon, and Mark Helfrich having to apologize for the score. You know, here's the thing. I, I think there's more memorable wins by Oregon over UW than there are Washington. And the reason why I say that is because, for me, growing up as a kid, beating Oregon really wasn't that big a deal. I mean, this did not become a big for Washington to beat Oregon until Oregon got good uh, in the mid-'90s and, uh, you know, early 2000s and maybe even starting with that 
Kajana Carter Rose Bowl team, uh, maybe even, uh, you know, earlier than that. So, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I, I think about wins over USC. I think about wins over, you know, schools like UCLA and Michigan and the Rose Bowl. I don't think about wins over Oregon because nobody even gave a damn about the Oregon Ducks when I was a kid. So most of the memorable wins over Oregon for me uh, by Washington uh, came when I was like in my mid-20s and 30s and 40s, and those are all the games I'm talking about. You know, going down there and hanging 70 on those bastards in 2016 was pretty sweet, you know, uh, the way that just led to a complete regime change down there. Uh, in Eugene and then you know Nate Robinson I remember Nate Robinson in that game down there in the Northwest Championship uh, when Braxton had that t-shirt that I was talking about Nate Robinson had his hands on an interception in the end zone he would have gone 105 yards and taken that thing back for a pick six pretty freaking drafted and then decided to go play basketball and had a pretty good career in the NBA instead. Softy last year Mario Cristobal in the locker room after the game he's like that those guys are everything that's wrong with with football and then of course jimmy lake it kind of spiraled from there for him make sense of all that what happened to washington last year about this time well first of all i I don't know what mario's talking about you know uh maybe he's just trying to get his guys all fired up and if that was the case then i certainly understand that you know i'm all for making stuff up if i'm a head coach just to get my players to respond so if mario cristobal has to dig deep into his bag of bs and pull something out just to get his guys fired up, that I'm totally cool with that. But this is a guy who, you know, recruited kids to go to Oregon, sat in the family room of mothers and dads, and then took off for the best deal he could find at Miami. So I don't know what the hell Mario's talking about, number one. And number two, I'm actually kind of glad to see the guy struggling in Miami because I think Mario Cristobal is pretty classless. That's number one. Number two, uh, look, Jimmy Lake was in over his head. There's no question about it. He was abs in over his head. He thought he didn't need help from anybody. He thought he could go out and do this whole thing himself and hire an offensive coordinator that nobody had ever heard of, bring a dude in here that had no experience calling plays, at least not successfully, uh, consistently in college football. A guy was fired by Penn State, was basically putting guys to bed with the Jaguars in the NFL, and now he's going to be your freaking offensive coordinator for a head coach who's a deep-minded guy. John, when you have a defensive-minded head coach, you know this. The offensive coordinator is the second most important person on the staff. He's the head coach of the offense, and Jimmy Lake gave that job to a guy that nobody had ever freaking heard of because nobody else wanted to work with the guy. So he got cocky, he got arrogant, and it cost him for sure. The the program now, you've got Kalen DeBoer, who I think is a great hire by Jen Cohn, and you've got Dan Lanning, who looks pretty good at Oregon, but neither one of these guys is a trash talker. This isn't like Don right. James. This isn't like Mario Cristobal or even Chip Kelly. Like, you know, right. we're, it, it's up to you and I, I think, to do the trash talking now. No, for sure. And look, I mean, I, I hate it. You know, I think I think the more coach-on-coach crime we have in college football, uh, the better. You know, I don't want to see what happened in the tunnel against Michigan State and Michigan a couple weeks ago. But, you know, Jim Harbaugh and Mel Tucker going after each other. I, I love that stuff. And by the way, speaking of Don James and the trash talk, most of the trash talk that came out of Don James' mouth came on the golf course during coaches' tours. That's where a lot of that stuff came from. It wasn't like Don James is seeking out sports writers to talk smack about Wazoo or USC or Oregon or anybody else in the Pac-10. So most of that came when he was mingling with donors and fans on the golf course during the old Husky Coaches Tour from back in the day. But, yeah, I mean, I I love it. I think the more smack talk between the fans, the better. Uh, The more smack talk between players. There used to be a point in time where UW would not even allow their players to talk to the media 
during UW Oregon week. In the meantime, I'm sitting here talking to Jack Westover. He's talking about how when he was a kid growing up, his parents would always tell him if Oregon was the only school that you could get into, his parents would not even pay for it. Michael Penix is from Tampa, Florida. I asked him what he knew about the UW-Oregon rivalry growing up. He said nothing except for that's a team that we don't like very much. So I love it. I think it's great. we got to stop acting like the world's going to fall apart. Somebody opens up their mouth and says something derogatory. All that does is just add to the flavor, and it adds to the hype, and it adds to the intensity of a game on Saturday that, let's face it, this conference needs. Yeah, the, what can the conference do? Wilner and I have been talking about this. Of like the, This rivalry with... UCLA and USC potentially leaving the conference, this rivalry yeah. becomes more important. What can the Pac-12 do to make Oregon-Washington bigger than it is? Well, I think, number one, you give each team a bye every year before they play, period, end of story. I don't think they would ever do that because that's not how the Pac-12 operates. But I'd give them both a bye, and I'd put them on prime time. I mean, look, when the schedule comes out, you know, every December or January for the next year, most of the games are TBA. How about you take the freaking Oregon-Washington game and you just say every single year the game is at 5 o'clock on ESPN or ABC or whatever, and you build that into the contract. I think George Klyovkov has got to find a way to get some freaking control, John, back from the TV networks. It's ridiculous. It's insane that six days before the UW-Oregon game, fans of both teams don't even know what the hell the damn game time is. I mean, that's pathetic. For a game like this that includes fan bases like this and teams like this, there should be hype. There should be people booking hotel rooms and flights, and everybody should know months before the game what time that game's going to be. So I think that's one thing to go about it. You know, and number two, how about you do this? How about you do a freaking radio row, man? Set up a radio row in Eugene or Seattle every single year on the Friday before the game. Fly people in, get sponsors, get ex-ducks, get dogs, put them on the air. You know, fire the thing up, fire the hype machine up like it's the damn Super Bowl and bring in radio stations from all over the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest to talk about this game. Wilner was on our show, as he is every Tuesday. He thinks that Arizona-Arizona State is the nastiest rivalry in the Pac-12. I think he's out of his mind. I think it's UW and Oregon by far. I do. I agree with you. But I don't think Washington's going to do much for this rivalry this season. I got Oregon winning big. I think they win by 20, yeah. 21. What do you expect? Well, you My, had Oregon State winning last week, too. Eh, How'd that work out? Yeah, I, got, well, I had it with the four and a half points. All right? Yeah, yeah but, how'd that work out? Yeah. Listen, here's the thing. If you're telling me that i got to make a wager on this game, that's going to significantly impact me financially, or if I wake up and I'm wrong, I got to go sleep at your place for you know a week or lose my house or whatever. I'm taking the Oregon Ducks, obviously. But here's the thing about Oregon: that pass defense, as you know, John, is not very good. What's the number one thing the Huskies do? They throw the ball. I thought Oregon State secondary actually played them pretty well yeah. uh, last weekend until UW kind of toughened up and found a way to move the ball through the air. So if I'm Ryan Grubb and Caleb DeBoer. I'm putting Michael Penix in shotgun, which he's in every play anyway. I'm going five wide, and I'm testing that porous Oregon secondary. And even if Oregon does make a Final Four, I don't see him hanging with anybody legitimate in the Final Four, let alone a rematch with Georgia with that pass defense as piss poor as it is. So we're going to see if the Huskies can take advantage of that on Saturday, man. Give me an idea of what, in your mind, what would have to go right for Washington to Washington, for Washington to win the game? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, like I said, I think UW's going to have to move the ball through the air with with great efficiency, by the way. And I'm not even talking about just hitting post routes and go routes and bombs the entire day. I'm talking about nickel and diming Oregon's defensive secondary to death with six- or seven-minute drives that keep Bo Nix on the sideline 
Number two, I also think you got to force some turnovers inside their own end, all right? Give the offense a break, and that's a, a bit of a problem right now because UW, well, technically they had a turnover on the lateral in the final play of the Oregon State game, but outside of that, they have not forced a turnover since the fourth quarter of the Arizona State game 12 quarters ago. So their defense has got to start taking away the football. And, John, i got to be honest with you, I'm not saying UW's going to win this game. I'm not saying that Washington's going to shut down Oregon's offense. But I think their defense is playing the best football right now that they've played all year long because they're the healthiest. Last week was the first time all year that they were able to start all four of their defensive backs together since week one. We're talking Powell, we're talking Perryman, we're talking Alex Cook and Asa Turner. Those guys have all been banged up at different points throughout the year. Now you're getting Olafosio back, who by far is their best linebacker. God, it sucked to not have him up until last week. He hasn't played since last October, and he finally came back and played last week. So getting 48 back and getting that secondary healthy. Now you're seeing Braylon Trice, number eight, Jeremiah Martin, number three, uh, ZTF, are starting to take off and get some pressure on the quarterback. Bo Nix has only been sacked one time, mostly because he's got a great line and he can escape pressure. I'm curious to see what that Husky front seven does on Saturday. Dave Softy Mahler from KJR in Seattle is our guest. Hey, Dave, the, we haven't talked and had you on the show since USC-UCLA defected. Yeah. Uh, what do you make of all that? What do you make of where the conference is right now? And how much how much blame do you yeah. put on George Klyovkov? I don't put a lot of blame on George Klyovkov, but I do think it's embarrassing for the conference to have those two teams taken off because there's nothing you can do to replace them. All this talk about San Diego State, are you kidding me? I mean, USC and UCLA were staying in the Pac-12, and you were looking to expand to 16 teams you would never look at San Diego State, ever. San Diego State, UNLV, those were never teams that were being talked about for expansion, even when USC and UCLA were here, at least not seriously. Now you want them to take the place of USC or UCLA? Yeah, I don't like it, John. I'm not a big fan. Frankly, I, I'm very curious to know what those teams would bring to the table that would justify giving them even a partial slice of the Pac-11 or Pac-12 pie. I'd rather just stay at 10 teams, to be honest with you. I think it gets you back in Southern California, but you're right. San Diego, it's only it's 1.2 million households. It's not 5.7 in L.A. Uh, yeah. Softy, UCLA, USC are contenders here. It, how bad is it for the Pac-12 if one of them walks off with the trophy in Vegas? Again, I think it's embarrassing, and I said that to John about a month ago. He disagreed. I, I, I saw you kind of wrote the opposite. You're kind of more with me on that yep. on that thing. I think for two teams that are that are leaving the conference, for, for one of them to win the Pac-12 and then take off uh, and leave you with you know a bunch of teams that could not compete or at least take them down, I think is a little bit embarrassing for the Pac-12. And I think the optics right now are pretty good for this conference. they got five teams in the top 25 in the latest college football playoff poll. they got a couple of contenders for the final four. So right now things are okay. But I think if you're George Klyovkov, and this is certainly not my opinion because I think the exact opposite, if you're George Klyovkov, you want nothing to do with USC or UCLA in the final four because if they do make the Final Four, all of the chatter during the entire game is going to be about them leaving for the Big Ten. All of it. So, yeah, if you're George Klyovkov, you're going to bed hoping that doesn't happen. So is there a silver lining? If, or if Oregon boat races Washington Saturday, do you kind of walk off going, look, Kalen DeBoer's building a program. They're not there yet, but at least Oregon is well positioned to, to be in Vegas and be in, in, yeah. in the number one position. Well, you got a chance to double your wins from last year, no matter what happened. To go from four and eight to eight and four, maybe win the bowl game and go nine and four. So 
Look, if they get boat raced by Oregon, first of all, I'm going to do two things. I'm going to drink heavily and turn off Twitter. Uh, that's number one and number two. And then number three, I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake. I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake for not building a secondary that can compete. I'm going to blame Jimmy Lake for not building a linebacker core that can compete with one of the best offenses in the Pac-12, if not the country. We've, we've been talking about that all year long. What the hell was Jimmy Lake doing down the stretch? He wasn't recruiting corners. He wasn't recruiting linebackers. There's nobody here to take the spots of guys like Ben Burkirvin and Trent McDuffie and Kyler Gordon who have graduated in the last couple of years. So that's been the biggest disappointment to me that Kalen DeBoer – I mean, uh, John, look at the freaking cupboard that Dan Lanning inherited versus the cupboard that Kalen DeBoer inherited. Now, Kalen DeBoer, just like Dan Lanning, went out and got a transfer quarterback, and that's making all the difference in the world. But outside a wide receiver and offensive line, there really wasn't a lot on that football team. Uh, they're still struggling to find, I think, a real bell cow at running back and not sure they'll have one the entire year. They've been splitting carries between Cam Davis and Wayne Talapapa. So I just wonder if Kalen DeBoer had taken over a better situation than what he took over uh, would this line still be 13 and a half? Probably not. Yeah, it's, I like Kalen DeBoer. Like when, when Jen Cohen hired him, I said sneaky good hire. And I mean yeah. that like I the guy just wins everywhere he goes. Can he can he get defensive players? Because I know quarterbacks going to want to play for him. But can they build a yeah. defense there? Well, uh, we're going to have to find out, man. I don't know about this defensive coaching staff yet. You know, I would have loved to have seen a guy like Ikaika Malloy been retained, and he went to UCLA. He's down there coaching linebackers at UCLA right now. They didn't keep anybody from last year's defensive staff. Uh, they only kept one coach, and that was Scott Huff, who was the offensive line coach, and the offensive line was horrible a year ago. And that goes to show you what Keelan DeBoer thought of the scheme, by the way. The, the, the one guy he brought back was the one guy that was coaching maybe the most disappointing position group on the entire football team. So, uh, I would have loved to have seen a guy like Ikaika retain because of his um, connections in Hawaii and on the West Coast, but they're really starting over from scratch. I mean, they got a guy that you guys know, Inoki Brecknerfield, the former Beaver defensive lineman. He's coaching the defensive line so far. I think the edge rushers have gotten better as the year goes by. I don't really think the linebackers have gotten that much better, and that's William Inge, and I don't think the safeties have gotten that much better. And that's Chuck Morrell. And the reason why I mentioned those two guys is because they're both the co-defensive coordinators for this football team. So I, I do, I am curious to see what they look like Saturday, what kind of progress they make the rest of the way. And if they don't make a lot of progress, you might want to start thinking about trying to find a superstar on that side of the ball because they have a superstar on the offensive side of the ball, and his name is Kalen DeBoer, along with Ryan Grubb. All right, so you get Washington this week, then it's Colorado at home, yeah. and then it's the Apple yeah. Cup. Compare yep. the Apple Cup rivalry with this Oregon-Washington rivalry. How is it different? Totally different. Totally different. Totally different because we live with those people. I only know like three or four Oregon fans. And most people I know that are Oregon fans won't even admit that they're Oregon fans when they live up here in, the, in Seattle. But we are surrounded by cougars. It's like a freaking vermin. It's like a fungus, man, around Seattle. I got three of them on the air from 10 to 3 before I go on the radio show at 3 o'clock every day. And go figure that. My boss is a gigantic Husky fan, and the guy's hiring cougars right and left to be on the radio station. It's sucking the life out of me. But, again, we wake up with those people. We mingle with those people. We work with them. My partner's married to one for crying out loud. So it's a totally different animal. Softy, you know I love you, man. Uh, I wish you luck this week. I, I don't think it's going to be pretty for you. But I think you're in good hands with yeah. Kalen DeBoer. Well, we'll find out. I'm going to go have my 19th cup of coffee, so we'll talk on Saturday. Amen. There you go. Thank Bye. you. Bye. There's Softy from KJR in Seattle.
Awesome stuff. You can feel how fired up he is about this Oregon-Washington rivalry. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth statewide on the BFT Radio Network. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Nick Aliotti, longtime University of Oregon defensive coordinator, is coming up bottom of the hour just a few minutes from now. He's now on the Pac-12 Networks as an analyst. Anna's popped into the studio. What are you researching Aliotti over here? What are you I, stalking him? Uh, no, I've looked at him up before, but I've got some questions for him. Really? Yeah. Grew up in, like, born in Walnut Creek, California. Yeah, I, know, I know that area. Went yeah. to UC Davis. Mm-hmm. There's things about him you might not know. His okay. father, Joe, worked for U.S. Steel for I decades. I didn't know that. There you go. I got questions. All right. You got questions for Nick Aliotti. I have questions for Aliotti. Uh, quick uh, download on the Softy interview. Uh, Steven, what would you think of Softy from KJR in Seattle? Yeah, he's a, he's a trip, man. He's a, he's a, <laughs> he's a trip. He's, he sounds like a, uh, a crazy guy to watch a game with, that's for sure. He is. Uh, and you know what's funny? I've been near him on press row. <laughs> During a Washington game, he is losing it during the game. <laughs> what about he, when Washington's like really good? Is he obnoxious? Is he an yes. obnoxious fan? Yeah. Yes. And at the end of a game, one time I picked Oregon State to beat Washington. He stood up on press row at the end of the game. It's quiet, and he pointed at me. He was like, like he, like he really lives it and breathes it. Uh, Nick Aliotti coming up, Oregon's D coordinator. I want you here for it. Uh, he's a fantastic interview, a wealth of knowledge. We'll talk about the Washington-Oregon rivalry over the years. What does he see on the field in the Pac-12? We'll go around the conference, kind of look We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.